0: in the name of god father son and holy spirit amen you may be seated this week we are focusing uh, on the prophets and their role in uh, preparing us for christmas especially and specifically john the baptist this past week at my house we were discussing advent and the figure of john the baptist and um this is what happens to you when you're a kid and you have a dad who's a priest, you have to talk about things like this all the time. So we, you know, after no doubt, some boring, long-winded priest-dad explanation of John the Baptist, which I'm sure was very profound, but nevertheless, Lucy, my three-year-old, lying, it was at night, we had just done our Advent candle, she was lying there about to go to sleep in her beautiful Christmas nightgown, and she said, "Dad." John the Baptist is cute. (laughs) Of course, I said, okay, we're going to have to go around again because John the Baptist is not cute. No, no, no. But he's not. He he dressed weird. He ate bugs, and he said, you're all going to die, basically. I mean, he said, he's not cute. Um, But then on second thought... Lucy put her finger on something that's very true about the way we all do Christmas these days, I think. Um, Somehow Christmas tends to get sentimentalized, doesn't it? And this crazy, wild-haired, bug-eating man in the desert who was screaming about the end of the world and the kingdom of God coming in Jesus, it gets relegated to decorative pillows on our couch that say love, joy, and peace, right? It gets relegated to the cute. Now, don't go throw away your decorative pillows, all right? They're totally fine. In fact, if you want to give them away, I'm sure the bales will take them. We'll put them on our own couch. But let me ask you this question. Is a cute Christmas what you need? Is that what you need in your world? It's wild the number of tragedies that have happened over the centuries on Christmas or around Christmas. It was a day after Christmas in 2003 when in uh, the Iranian city of Bam this huge earthquake, 6.7 earthquake happened and killed 26,000 people. The next year, an even bigger earthquake Out in the Indian Ocean, caused a tsunami that killed 227,000 people. In 1929, the history of North Carolina is one of the worst catastrophes uh, recorded, at least in its emotional impact. A man named Charlie Lawson took the lives of all of his family members on Christmas Day two daughters, two sons, his wife, and a baby. Do you need a cute Christmas? I don't think we need a cute Christmas. I think we need a Christmas that takes us into the nitty-gritty details of history. Frederick Buechner, author, um, talked about in his seminary days, one of his favorite professors, James Muhlenberg, would ask all the students, he would say, every morning when you wake up, students, before you reaffirm your faith in the majesty of a loving God, before you say, I believe, for another day, go read the daily news with its record of the latest crimes and tragedies of mankind, and then, and only then, see if you can honestly say again, I believe. We don't need a cute Christmas, do we? A cute Christmas is utterly impotent in the face of human tragedy. A cute Christmas is like a momentary escape from reality when what we need is a Christmas that can change Reality. We need to be able to say Merry Christmas after reading the daily news, believing that Christmas is actually merry only because it's going to change the daily news. This is Luke's message from our gospel reading today in chapter 3. Will you find it in the Blue Bibles? It's page 45 in the New Testament. Luke chapter 3. He's going to to introduce us to the ministry of Jesus, the ministry that Christmas brings about through John the Baptist by starting with what really feels like a, a, I don't know, the historical account from the daily news. That's how his passage opens. Luke chapter 3 verse 1 Here's what I want you to see. We're going to prepare for a Christmas today that is grounded in the nitty-gritty details of human history. Why? Because it's precisely that history that Christmas aims to change. Look at uh, verses 1 and 2, chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the other regions, and so on and so forth, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas... Okay, pause. When you're reading this at home, if you're like me, you just... Either you skip this part, or you read through so fast, you have no idea what's going on. I mean, this would take—it really, honestly, would take you. You'd have to get a pause, a moment, pull up your smartphone, and start Googling the history, right, of of uh, Rome and uh, the Jewish uh, synagogue history. Luke gives us not one, not two, not four, but six historical names referenced here, leaders of both uh, Rome and uh, the Jewish religion. He grounds what he's about to say in John the Baptist in a moment and time, in a real place, and a real time. It's like he's saying, look, the story that I'm going to tell you is not a myth, it's not a legend, it's not folklore. The one whom we worship, Jesus of Nazareth, belonged to this time, this place, this moment in history. Specific rulers were on the throne particular political realities were happening when John the Baptist came on the scene to announce Jesus. Have you ever heard it said about Greek myths, Greek gods and goddesses? There's a famous quote. I think Joseph Campbell is responsible for it, but it's been said a bunch of different ways. It goes like this, the Greek gods and goddesses, they never were, but they always are. They never were, but they always are. The idea is that they never existed historically. Zeus never existed historically. But the truth of that, that the myths around Zeus uh, tell. These truths are bigger than time and space. So, so you can say these, these men and women, these gods and goddesses, the, they're more the ideas they represent. They've never historically lived, but their truth is real. Friends, that is not Christianity. It's the reverse, right? Jesus actually lived in a time and in a place. He actually died, and he actually, we believe, rose again. We do not believe in a myth. Luke says, you want to say Merry Christmas? It has to start by reading the daily news. Because it's into the daily news in the year of uh, Tiberius the Emperor, and Philip, and Herod, and uh, Caiaphas, and Annas, that's when John the Baptist proclaimed the message of history. J. Warner Wallace was a cold case detective. I think it was in Los Angeles, and he was an atheist And many years ago. He was uh, became so enthralled with the story of Jesus Christ as an outsider, that he began to, he decided to use all of his cold case detective skills to um, dig into the story of Jesus. And because he was an outsider, he, he was like, Well, I'm not going to use the Bible for that because the Bible's biased, right? So I'm going to use everything but the Bible and I'm going to try to see if I can discern do I think that the story of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is actually true? This is his, this is his story. Friends, the. Um, So, you know, the evidence for Jesus of Nazareth living and dying, and if you add the New Testament Scriptures rising again, is so overwhelming that not only was J. Warner Wallace converted, but we have more evidence historically for the person Jesus Christ of Nazareth than we do people like King Arthur. This is the significance of when we say the words in the creeds. Think about this. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. In the Apostles' Creed, we say, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Have you ever stopped to think, hey, if I'm going to make an entire uh, synopsis of this book right here and what Christians believe, and I'm going to reduce it into a very, very, very small paragraph of affirmations, I know, let's include one random ruler named Pontius Pilate. That's a good idea, right? Have you ever thought, why do we do that? Why have Christians for 2,000 years included Pontius Pilate? Why does he get a shout out of all the people in history? Because it grounds the Christian story in a real time and a real place. So Luke says, look, Christian, do not be afraid to read the daily news as you say Merry Christmas. More than that, it's like instead of saying in the year of the reign of Tiberius and Herod, and say it something like this. In the year that my marriage started to fall apart, in the year that there was a pandemic that whittled me and my family down to nothing, in the year when I lost all my financial security, In the year when depression finally overtook me. In the year when, in the nitty-gritty details of your history, Jesus will be born again. That's what we do every Advent and Christmas season. We prepare for Jesus to be born anew into the nitty-gritty details of our history. Here's the second theme from Luke chapter 3 today, verses 1 through 6. It's why. Why, why does it matter? Why, why does it matter that Christmas came in a real time, in a real place, that John the Baptist announces this? Because it's that history. It's our daily news that Christmas is going to change. Read with me now verses 3 and following in chapter 3. John the Baptist went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of what? baptism of what? Of repentance. Repentance means change, turn around, stop, do something different. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So Luke presents John the Baptist like all the other prophets in the Old Testament. He was delivering a message of change. The daily news is going to change. And guess what? It starts with you and me, with repentance and forgiveness of sin. You want to change the world, you want uh, 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 Christmas to impact the whole globe, every man, woman, and child, it starts with you and me, letting Jesus mess with us on the inside, calling us to repentance and faith, new and different thoughts, words, and deeds, so it's personal change, but keep reading. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, here's an Old Testament quote from an Old Testament prophet. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled up, every mountain, and hill made low, the crooked will be made straight, and the rough made smooth. Why? This is a victory march. Because the king is coming. That's why. Because we're all going home. We're leaving exile Imagine the first uh, hearers of Isaiah, this passage that Luke appropriates for John the Baptist. Imagine the first readers, the people of Israel. They were coming home from exile. They were out in the wilderness, coming home from the wilderness, back to the land that God had promised them. The prophet is saying, this is amazing. Get ready, everybody. This is a victory. We're going home. They, in exile, they took our name from us. They took our faith from us. They took our culture from us. But we are going home. We are being freed from the wilderness of Egypt to the promised land, from the wilderness of exile back to our home. And so Luke puts these words in the mouth of the new prophet, John the Baptist, for you and me. What's happening is our daily news of being exiled is about to change, not just at an individual level, not just at a national level for the people of God, but at a global level. So read the news, Luke says. Christmas starts in the nitty-gritty of the news because it's the nitty-gritty of the news that Jesus Christ came to save. Don't be afraid to read the news. It's the news that Christmas changes. We don't need, that's why we don't need, with all apologies to Lucy, we don't need a cute Christmas. Although I will take that beautiful Christmas nightgown that she has. It's gorgeous. It's got Santa Claus lace around it. You know There are some parts of Christmas that are super fun. But when we really get down to it, when the rubber meets the road, what kind of Christmas do we need? We need a Christmas that begins like this. In the year when my life was absolutely falling apart, Jesus came. As some of you may remember last year at Christmas, uh, we were, my family, we were w- walking my dad through the last days of his life. We went up to Tennessee. Um, on Christmas Eve, we, uh, dad and I were in the hospital room together, and we, t- we thank-, thank the Lord because of Peter's work and our tech team's work and everybody else's work, we were able to like watch Christmas Eve Midnight Mass with y'all here, but we were up in Tennessee in the hospital. The next morning, they brought Dad home in the ambulance. So, Christmas Day, Christmas morning, they brought him home in the ambulance with hospice, and then uh, the next morning, the 26th, he passed away. You know what I needed uh, on that Christmas of 2020? I needed Christmas that had something to do with reversing death and illness and pain and grief and loss. I didn't need the three pillows on my mom's couch that say love, joy, peace, right? I needed a savior. I needed a warrior. I needed the God who made heaven and earth to come and finally make things right. Christian, this Christmas, don't be afraid to read the news, the global news or the news of your own life. It's in to the midst of that craziness, that messiness that John the Baptist came announcing Jesus who was going to change history itself. So, Merry Christmas.